Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics with occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Jefferson Morley of JFK Facts and one of the country's leading experts on the John F. Kennedy assassination, and we welcome you to this Father's Day special broadcast. Our program tonight coming to you from the AM560 studios in beautiful Elk Grove Village. We're the Salem Station in the city of Chicago. And again, happy Father's Day. And again, for those listening around the country, we are not going to be talking about what happened to uh, President uh, Trump last week. We'll talk about it in the future. We have many, many Sunday nights that we will have an opportunity to discuss uh, what happened. But tonight we're going to do a special one-on-one interview for the next two hours with one of the country's leading experts on the John F. Kennedy assassination. That anniversary is coming up uh, in November, 60th anniversary. And again, uh, for a generation of, uh, of mine, we know a lot of the facts, or we think we know a lot of the facts. We remember where we were when certain things happened. But there are a couple of generations that maybe have heard about it, heard their parents or grandparents talk about it, but maybe are a little bit confused and would like to be brought up on the, the, the complexity of the Kennedy assassination. We will try to unfold that information for you, uh, chapter and verse, this evening over the next eight segments of the program. And Jefferson Morley joins us, a leading investigative journalist uh, from his home in Washington, D.C. Jefferson, thank you very much for joining us tonight on this special broadcast. And I would like to begin by asking, when did the first significant doubt pop up in the Kennedy assassination? Well, first of all, Bruce, thanks for having me and thanks for taking the time to talk about this with the, the length and the care that it deserves. Um, it's a good question. When did the doubts first set in? Mm-hmm. As soon as the crime occurred. Um, and we know this because pollsters took public opinion surveys within a week of the assassination. Okay, um, so at this time, the president is dead. The accused assassin is dead, and the government, meaning the White House, the FBI, Dallas Police Department, are unanimous that one man alone was responsible for this and no one else was involved. Um, when they took a public opinion polls around November 29th, November 30th, uh, polls found that a substantial majority of people thought that one more than one person was involved. There were two polls, one taken in Dallas, one taken wide. Uh, and they both showed 60 to 70% of people believed that more than one person was involved. So what that tells you, Bruce, is that doubts about the assassination did not originate, let me repeat that, did not originate with conspiracy theorists they originated in the circumstances of the crime. Mm-hmm. Now, at that, at, that, polls, at that point, Jefferson, was the Dallas Police Department in charge of the investigation or were the federal government and the FBI involved? And, of course, uh, the, the, the head of the FBI was J. Edgar Hoover, but his boss was Robert F. Kennedy, the attorney general. So who's, uh, who's turf, uh, who, who were leading uh, these investigations? Um, well... Uh, the Dallas police, when, when the crime happened, when the president 
was was shot and killed. The Dallas police started making statements. The FBI soon jumped in and took over the case. In 1963, the assassination of a president was not a federal crime. So it took an order from President Johnson for the FBI to take over the investigation. When you say that J. Edgar, Robert F. Kennedy was J. Edgar Hoover's boss, that's technically true, but um, he didn't have much power over him mm -hmm. because Hoover had his own power base. So, um, but yes, the FBI was in charge of the investigation after the, the 22nd, at the time I'm talking. But, but during that period of time, wasn't Robert Kennedy and, and wasn't even Lyndon Johnson expressing some doubts, if, if not publicly, privately, that, uh, that what we were talking about with one assassin wasn't likely to be the case? And even, uh, does <coughs> okay. Vice President Truman uh, offer his assessments as well? Let, let's take those one at a time and get the, and get the time frame straight. When Bobby Kennedy heard the news, he immediately suspected right-wing forces. He never entertained for a minute or for the rest of his life the notion that the president was killed by a communist. He thought from the start that it was CIA and CIA-connected Cubans. And we know that because he called CIA director John McCone as soon as he heard the news. And when McCone came to Kennedy's house and he said, Bobby Kennedy said to John McCone, did your guys do this? Bobby Kennedy also called a man named Harry Williams, who was a Cuban friend of his, that afternoon, and he expressed the same thought. You guys did this, meaning Castro Cubans in Miami. So that's what Bobby Kennedy thought immediately. President Johnson, on Sunday, the president was killed on Friday, on Sunday morning, Johnson writes a memo where he, he talks to his um, press secretary, Bill Moyer, and he says, we have to convince the public that Oswald acted alone. So at that point, the investigation has barely begun and Johnson has already reached his conclusion. Oswald alone did it and we have to convince the public of that. J. Edgar Hoover said the same thing in a memo the next day. So Johnson and Hoover decided immediately, whatever they privately thought, that they wanted an investigation that would find Oswald did it alone and he had no co-conspirators. So the FBI and the White House laid down the law right away. That's the finding that they wanted. President Harry Truman, former President Harry Truman, entered the debate um, a month later on December 22nd, 1963, when he publishes a column in the Washington Post and says, it's time to abolish the CIA. Now, Truman never connected that policy position with the assassination, but there's no other conclusion drawn that mm -hmm. he was motivated and that his call for abolition of the CIA was yeah, the and, result he, and he also created the CIA. He was president when it was created. Yes, in 1947, President Truman had signed mm -hmm. the CIA into this. So 16 years later, Truman has changed his mind and wants to abolish the CIA as a result of assassination. Okay. So 
So there are doubts immediately within the Kennedy family, Bobby Kennedy and Jackie Kennedy. Um, there is the determination of Johnson and Hoover to convict one man alone and not to investigate any further. So that's the immediate reaction to what when when we when we come back, I want to talk about what the ramifications would have been uh, for U.S. Uh, foreign policy uh, had uh, had they dealt a little bit deeper. We'll do that. We're talking with Jefferson Morley. I'm Bruce Dumont. We're talking about the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, November 22nd, 1963. In my opinion, one of the defining moments in the history of this country. Back shortly from Chicago. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings. The kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. If you talk and they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. So talk, hey, you can do it if you try. Welcome 
Fred. We continue on Beyond the Beltway with Jefferson Morley. And uh, uh, when we last left you, uh, President uh, Lyndon Johnson and FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover uh, basically had said that there needed to be uh, a, a clear understanding that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone and working with their press secretary, Bill Moyers, who went on to great fame and fortune uh, in public broadcasting. He helped lead uh, that messaging. And uh, how soon after the assassination did the idea of the Blue Ribbon Warren Commission emerge to President Johnson? Well, in the immediate aftermath of the assassination, um, the Dallas district attorney was talking about opening an investigation and said there might have been a communist plot. Uh, the House Un-American Activities Committee scheduled hearings. Uh, so Johnson wanted to head off all investigations and he wanted to create an investigation that he could control. And so the idea of something like the Warren Commission took shape in the week after the assassination. And by the end of that week, by around November 29th or 30th, Johnson had figured out who he wanted on it, and he was trying to convince Chief Justice Earl Warren, one of the leading liberals in the country, one of the most prominent liberals, to serve on the panel. The fact was that Kennedy's liberal supporters and the Democratic Party in general did not trust J. Edgar Hoover. He was a notorious racist, um, very anti-liberal in his politics, um, and they didn't trust him. And Johnson knew that he needed a liberal on the commission in order to make it credible. So he pressed Chief Justice Earl Warren very hard saying, if you don't serve on this commission and we refute these rumors, there's gonna be a nuclear war in which 40 million people are killed. And so with that threat, Warren agreed to serve on the Warren Commission. Following up on that's very important because uh, had it come out that, uh, that a communist conspiracy was involved, because enter into this conversation, Lee Harvey Oswald, we'll talk about that in a moment. But there was a lot of circumstantial evidence to suggest either that uh, the, the Cuban government or the Russian government uh, was involved in this assassination effort. And had that, had that mood grown within the country, there would have been a demand on Lyndon Johnson to retaliate in some way, in some military way, because many people thought that a communist entity had assassinated the president of the United States. So he acted uh, basically to just sort of stop that conversation. Um, was there anything um, <clears throat> that was going on with, with any other leader of government, uh, Jefferson, that was supporting at least the belief that maybe if this was a communist conspiracy or the Cubans government might have been involved in it in retaliation against efforts by the CIA to assassinate Fidel Castro. I mean, how, how much how much credence was that uh, given to the president or did he just instinctively know that they had to blame it on somebody else? The interesting thing, Bruce, is although Oswald was a leftist personally, Nobody in the government ever investigated the possibility seriously that um, that the president had been killed by communists. In fact, <clears throat> they only investigated the possibility that he had been killed by right wingers within his own government or within the within the CIA. And in fact, we learned just last December in a document that was released that the CIA station in Miami 
conducted an investigation of Kennedy's assassination right after Kennedy was killed. And um, they didn't investigate the possibility that Oswald acted on behalf of Castro. Castro. They, never, they never considered that possibility. They only investigated the possibility that he had been killed by anti-Castro exiles in, my, in South Florida seeking to provoke a war with Cuba. <clears throat> In other words, the feeling within the U.S. government was the one thing they didn't want to investigate was the possibility that this was a right-wing plot disguised as or designed to be blamed on left-wingers. Mm -hmm. That was the one thing that they wanted to make sure they never investigated. And so that's what Johnson took off the table. Now, it was very easy to say, oh, look, you know, we can't go to, to war. You know, we might go to war with these... The, you know, with one of these countries. So, you know, we have to hold off. But think about it, Bruce. If Fidel Castro killed the president of the United States, don't you think we would have attacked and destroyed his government? Absolutely. If there was any evidence of it? Absolutely. There was none. There was none. The fact is, is that Johnson, Bobby Kennedy, Jackie Kennedy, uh, Harry Truman, suspected that the assassination emanated from within Kennedy's own government by enemies of his liberal policies. And that was the one thing that they wanted to make sure never got investigated. And that's the cover-up that continues to this day. Now, we should mention also the Warren Commission. You mentioned uh, Earl Warren, a uh, liberal uh, chief justice of the Supreme Court, was, was picked and convinced that uh, he had to play this important role. But other members of the Warren Commission also were suspect, uh, at least in, retro in retrospect, they were suspect. One was Alan Dulles, who used to be the head of the CIA, who was fired by President Kennedy. So here is someone who was fired by President Kennedy, uh, participating in investigating who killed President Kennedy. And obviously you had uh, Hale Boggs, who was a congressman from Louisiana. And throughout this entirely, the early discussions of the Kennedy assassination, uh, a lot of those leads led back to New Orleans, which was one of the most corrupt and, and mob-infested cities in the United States, and their long-term congressman, who only who kept getting elected again and again and again, he was also put on this committee, as was Gerald Ford, as was uh, Arlen Specter, who was the chief investigator, who went on to become a senator from Pennsylvania. So this was a, this was a stacked deck. It was certainly not a blue-chip commission. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, the presence of Alan Dulles on the commission is quite disturbing. And and it shows that, you know, the investigation was compromised from the start because right. Alan Dulles had a huge conflict of interest. He had been fired by President Kennedy, as you said. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, Johnson put him on the commission so that he could protect the interests of the CIA. But that was a blatant conflict of interest. So it was very political. Earl Warren was the only liberal on the group. The other six men were, were all quite conservative. And they reached the conclusion that Johnson and Hoover wanted. They wanted to cut off all speculation about Oswald's possible foreign contacts. They did that. Uh, Johnson and Hoover wanted evidence that would convince the public that Oswald acted alone. They got that, although the public was not convinced, as we shall see. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, you know, like you say, the, the deck was the deck was stacked against a serious investigation and it was stacked in favor of 
a politically convenient explanation, right? If the president was killed by a madman, well, nobody did anything wrong, right? right? And so we are left with the astonishing story that the president of the United States is shot in broad daylight in front of hundreds of people, and no one's ever brought to justice for the crime. Indeed, no one in Washington, no one in the CIA or the FBI so much as loses their job, despite an atrocious security failure in broad daylight. Now, that as, tells you something, Bruce. As the we, fact that no yep. one lost their job and no one was held accountable, that was... Like you said, I think at the beginning, you know, a turning point in American history. You know, as, as we, we never had right. real accountability around this amazing story of the president being killed. Jefferson, as we look back on it almost 60 years later, uh, we have researchers like yourself and journalists who have questioned the makeup of the Warren Commission. Because you talk about a stacked yeah. deck, they were it. But what was the media at that time saying? Because it, it seems to me that uh, an, an integral part of selling this story to the American people was convincing them through their media leadership that they had to follow the, 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 uh, the bouncing ball as dictated by President Johnson. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, the, the large news organizations fell in line uh, with the initial findings of the FBI, which were released in December 1963. Like I say, you know, the, the liberal half of the public did not trust J. Edgar Hoover, and so that FBI report didn't have much credibility. Um, Hoover was a bitter enemy. He hated both the Kennedy brothers, so mm -hmm. he was not in a position to do uh, a, 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 an even-handed investigation either. Um, but the major news organizations believed the FBI. You know, this is at a time when these organizations have a lot of trust in government. Um, and uh, so, you know, in 1964, um, as the Warren Commission is working, the major media news organizations are generally presenting, well, you know, it was Oswald alone who did it. There were people who started to say, hey, wait a second, let's do something. The most prominent was Mark Lane. He was a liberal left-wing attorney in New York, and he went to the Warren Commission and said, "Look, I'd like to represent Oswald. If we're gonna, if you're gonna be, you know, charging him, uh, even though he's dead, you know, we should. It should be a legal proceeding where he has a counsel and he has somebody to defend his interest." The Warren Commission refused that request from Mark Lane. So the Warren Commission wasn't interested in in being fair to Oswald, even though he was dead and couldn't defend himself. Mm -hmm. um, when the Warren report came out in September 1964, the major media organizations said, this is amazing, conclusive, you know, proof that now we know we can put aside the rumors. And they they emphasized that quite a bit. And and that held. If you look at the polls, when, do, you know, do people believe mm -hmm. the Warren right. Commission story that one man alone killed the president for no reason and another guy killed that guy? Because he felt like it. When we know, we've got to pause. We've got to pause. We've got to we've, we've got to pause right now. The, uh, those Jefferson. doubts. We got to pause. We got to pause right after the assassination. We have, they receded. Okay, we have to pause right now. Sorry, I had to talk over you. But when we come back, we're going to talk about the news media and the number one publication in the country at that time, Life Magazine. How did they get involved in this story? Don't go away. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. 
Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We continue on uh, Father's Day. This is Bruce Dumont. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. And Jefferson Morley is our guest, an expert on the Kennedy assassination. We're going to take a moment let uh, Jefferson tell everybody a little bit more about yourself. And uh, most importantly, how did you personally get involved in the story? Thanks, Bruce. Um, so I'm the editor of a uh, subscription newsletter, jfkfacts.substack.com. And so I report on new developments in the Kennedy assassination. And I have a, an approach that is, I think, unique on the internet. I'm not interested in conspiracy theories. I don't discuss them. I stick to a strictly factual approach, a journalistic approach to the Kennedy assassination, which focuses on what, what do we know now that we didn't know then? What have we learned? 
what's the good information out there, what's the bad information out there. We try and weed out the good information from the bad information. And we cover what's going on with the release of the latest JFK documents, um, which happened both under President Trump and under President Biden, and will continue later this month, in fact. Mm -hmm. So jfkfacts.substack.com, you can subscribe there, and really it's the best place to stay up to date on what's happening in the world of the JFK assassination story. Not conspiracy theories. If you're interested in conspiracy theories, go someplace else because we don't really talk about them at my site. No. And also we should mention that you have a wonderful podcast once a week that also delves into these stories. So we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. Before the break, we talked about the important role that the media played in convincing the American people, as Lyndon Johnson wanted, that there was a lone gunman. And uh, we haven't even brought up the name Lee Harvey Oswald yet. Uh, We are going to do that. But in telling the story of the media's role uh, in leading this cover-up, I want to talk about Life magazine, because in 1963, Life magazine was the most popular magazine in the United States, perhaps next to Reader's Digest. It was a photojournalistic magazine, and millions of American families waited for that Life magazine to come into their home. It was long before the power of television really had emerged. And so... Um, leading up to that, I want to back up one step and introduce the name Abraham Zapruder, because you probably yes. have heard of the famous Zapruder film. So let's take a moment, Jefferson, and talk about Abraham Zapruder and how became how he became such an integral part of this investigation. So when the president came to Dallas on November 22nd, 1963, it was announced that he was going to be have a motorcade down Main Street, the big street in downtown Dallas. And so there was a, a large friendly crowd greeted him all along that Main Street. And um, mm. at the very end of the motorcade route um, was a man named, like you said, Abraham Zabruder. He was a Dallas businessman. He, he, he had a dressmaking company. And he came with his secretary at their lunchtime and he brought his Super 8 camera so that he could film the motorcade as it went by. And he found a convenient perch and he was filming when the motorcade came around the corner. And so Abraham Zabruder was actually filming the president when the gunfire rang out. And um, there were several shots, um, at least three, uh, maybe more, uh, which were captured on Zabruder's film. So the car sped away, took the president to the local hospital. um, And Zabruder realized that he had captured the assassination on Uh, camera. And so he went and um, told the FBI um, and a reporter from uh, Life magazine heard about this and approached Zabruder and uh, Zabruder agreed to sell him the rights to the film and a copy of the film. And so Life magazine got a copy of the film. The Secret Service got a copy of the film and Zabruder kept a copy of the film. So that film from the, that, that very day was uh, controlled by Life Magazine, which like you said, was really one of the most popular publications in the country. And so um, <clears throat> Life had this uh, footage and they ran still frames from it in their issue uh, about the assassination, which came out 
uh, uh, that next week. But the film itself was not seen publicly um, because it's quite graphic. As anyone has seen, the president is shot in the head and his head is blown open. So it's a very graphic and disturbing film. And Life magazine said that they wanted to not broadcast it out of deference to the Kennedy right. family's feelings. But so they, so they decided, so, so what they decided to do is they, because they wanted to protect protect the American people as opposed to informing the American people, they extracted, I believe, eight frames, eight to ten frames from that video, from that film, and they presented it as facts in Life magazine. And so it, it perpetuated yeah. the belief that... Uh, that this this film did not, uh, at least the way it was project, projected by Life magazine, was not a true depiction of what happened. Well, you know, Bruce, I think, you know, I think a lot of people were genuinely confused because if you see the film, you sure think the president is shot from the front. So people, a few people got to see the film and while they were seeing it, they were thinking in their minds, well, the president was shot from behind. So, you know, they were trying to, how does this make sense? Dan Rather said when, that the president fell forward when he was hit by the gunfire. That's not true. I don't think Dan Rather was deliberately lying. I think he was making up his story based on what he believed was true, which was he trusted the government. He trusted the White House and the FBI. But anyway, you're right. The, they suppressed the film out because they didn't want to encourage doubts about the assassination. And, and as, as a result, it was not seen publicly for 12 years. By the way, a couple of things. Uh, his reporting in Dallas is what, is what propelled Dan Rather into a national news superstar uh, because of the way yeah. he, he reported that story or, or uh, you, know, uh, you know, killed that story, if, as some people suggested. But I want to take a moment. Dan Rather did not kill the story, Bruce. I want to. I want Dan to, Rather did not kill the story. I want. I, I want to take a moment now, for those that are okay. watching this on television, and for those listening on radio, you can only imagine it. But again, this is something you can go to YouTube and you can find a copy of it. I'm going to play now the video performed or the the film by uh, Abraham Zapruder. This is an unedited version, which is different than what Life magazine projected in their publication. But let's take a little bit moment. There'll be a little silence on radio, but we'll be able to talk over it on video. And let's take a look at that film. Here, this is from the front. This is the president arriving in Dallas with Mrs. Kennedy. They are going along the parade route, and everything is fine, except at this point, you see the president hold his throat by this time, the president had been shot, apparently from the front, but that's debatable. And there is the headshot that blows much of the president's brain out. And there you see Mrs. Kennedy climbing over the, the back of the, the Lincoln Continental, trying to get safe and be preserved by the Secret Service or protected by the Secret Service. So th those minutes were, the, the pictures show that the president's head is going backward which to most people means that he would have been shot from the front, was that was opposite what was being discussed at the highest levels of government. And yet 
Life magazine publisher decided he was going to extract those portions of the Zapruder film and yet present them as the front cover of Life magazine that week, which I think further confused people uh, who were confused about whether or not Lee Harvey Oswald elected alone and shot from behind or as became known as the grassy knoll theory when it shows at least to some people, including myself, that he was shot uh, from at least the headshots were uh, shot from the front. When you first saw the yeah. Zapruder film, what did you think, Jefferson? I mean, I thought if his head goes backwards, he must have been shot from the front. If right. he was shot from behind, his head would have gone forward. I mean, that's physics 101. So I know there's other possible explanations. And, you know, we know from war and crime scenes that human bodies do strange things when, when they're hit by bullets. But yeah, when I saw the Zabruder film, I thought he had been hit by from the front, but I didn't, I wasn't convinced because I wanted more evidence. And, I, and, and there is more evidence. For one thing, you mentioned the grassy knoll. So this is a term that people use a lot in the JFK story. And I wanna tell people where it comes from. The grassy knoll was a grassy embankment in front of the president's motorcade. Why is it called the grassy knoll? It's called the Grassy Knoll because that's what a newspaper reporter on the scene, a man named Merriman Smith, who was a UPI reporter, that's what he said in his first reports from the scene of the assassination. Merriman Smith was riding in the presidential motorcade that day. When he heard the shots rang out, he grabbed the radio phone in the car, called his editors in New York and said, three shots were fired at the president's motorcade, you know, and I'll get back to you. Merriman Smith followed the president's motorcade to the hospital, and he started interviewing Secret Service men. And in the story that he filed about 30 minutes later, he said that Secret Service men said that automatic gunfire had come from uh, the grassy knoll to which policemen rushed. So it was Merriman Smith, not a conspiracy theorist, a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, as a matter of fact, who, who coined the term grassy knoll, and he coined it because he had talked to Secret Service men who were in the motorcade who thought that's where the shot came. Right. And yet we've got a break. And yet the term the grassy knoll has been used as a pejorative for people who believe in the conspiracies. And again, that's part of yeah, the story isn't that ironic? as well. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back shortly more with Jefferson Morley. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above.
No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening, and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Sumant Beck, we continue with Jefferson Morley of JFKFacts.org. And uh, Jefferson, um, you know, again, 60 years later, even at the time I remember, I was uh, quite upset about the the frames that had been excised from the Zapruder film. But how did media react to the actions of Life magazine at that time? Did anybody uh, raise their voice to challenge their, their credibility? Um, in fact, they did. Um, what happened was um, because there were so many questions about the assassination and because of the inadequacy of the Warren Commission report, um, critics began to publish books. And Mark Lane, the lawyer who I mentioned earlier, published a book called Rush to Judgment. Harold Weisberg was an investigator on Capitol Hill. He published a book called Whitewash. Um, and doubts began to set in. Um, now, nobody had seen the Zabruder film at that point um, until 1966, when a man named Tink Thompson uh, got access to the film and wrote a book called Six Seconds in Dallas. And um, he said that the president had been struck by a bullet from the front. So there was some criticism starting from people who had access to the Zabruder film at that time. Also, Doubts began to set in even at Life magazine. Um, and in 1966, the editors of Life magazine said that it was time to reopen the investigation, that there was enough new evidence um, and new questions that the investigation should be reopened. Mm -hmm. Look magazine, which was also a big 
popular slick photo magazine like Life also called for reopening of the JFK investigation in 1966. So while the government and big media were united initially around the lone gunman's story, doubt set in and began to spread even among major news organizations themselves. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're 45 minutes into this storytelling and we haven't mentioned uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. So where did he come from? How did his name get moved out uh, so quickly as the, uh, the alleged assassin at that time? Lee Harvey Oswald was a 24-year-old ex-Marine. He had grown up in New Orleans. He'd gone into the Marines, um, uh, left the Marines saying he wanted to take care of his mother in 1959, which he did not do. And instead he moved to the Soviet Union. Um, he was uh, privately, in his personal beliefs, a, a socialist, a communist, and he admired the Soviet Union and he wanted to live there. Oswald lived in the Soviet Union for two years, from 1959 to 1962. Um, he married a Russian woman and he came back in the summer of 1962. The important thing to understand about Oswald's time in the Soviet Union was that he was monitored from the start by the CIA and monitored very closely. In other words, people at the CIA, very high in the CIA, were keeping track of Oswald, where he went, his politics, his personal life, his travels, his contacts. So. From 19, November 1959 to November 1963, the CIA is monitoring the movements of the man who will be described later as a lone nut. It's a very inaccurate term because it suggests that there was some crazy man and he came out of nowhere and killed the president. We now know that that was not true, that in fact, Oswald was very well known to top counterintelligence and Cuba operations officers and they were paying attention to him <clears throat> in 1963. On the day of the assassination, uh, Oswald worked in the building where, uh, <clears throat> where Kennedy's motorcade passed by. Oswald left that building, uh, uh, caught a bus, got off the bus, caught a taxi, went back to his boarding house and picked up a gun, which is very interesting because it indicates that he had some guilty knowledge. He didn't take a gun with him to work that day, but once the president was killed, Oswald felt the need to protect himself. And indeed, that was a sensible precaution because a policeman attempted to arrest him and Oswald shot and killed the policeman. Officer he then went to a movie theater and tried to hide and it's that he was arrested there about 90 minutes after the assassination. So, and he was charged with shooting the president. Oswald was taken into custody. He was questioned under very improper circumstances. There was no tape recorder running. There's no good minutes of what he said, only some uh, scattered notes from the law enforcement people who were there. Um, and <clears throat> Oswald, in interrogation, denied killing the president, which was plausible. Oswald was a leftist and mm -hmm. Kennedy was a liberal president. Oswald kind of liked Kennedy. He thought he was a conventional politician, but he especially admired Kennedy's stand on civil rights. And so, you know, the idea that a guy who admired the president had shot him and had denied shooting him compounded all the doubts that people had about the circumstances of the crime. Where did the shots come from? Did this guy really do it? He denied doing it. If he denied doing it, who did it? So that was what 
how Oswald came to be world famous on November 22nd. On November 24th, he was being transferred from the Dallas jail to a more secure facility when a man stepped out of the crowd and shot him and killed him on national TV. That's Jack so Ruby. You had the shocking event of the president being killed, and then you have the shocking event of the man who supposedly killed him being killed. So that also compounded and heightened this people's suspicion. People thought quite legitimately there had to be something else going on besides these guys just deciding to kill people. Jefferson had nothing to do. Jefferson, with I, I want to I want to follow up on that, but I want to ask a question. Based on your uh, knowledge, did did Lee Harvey Oswald fire any shots at the president from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository? Or did everything come it's from the front? That, it's possible that he fired a shot. I, I, you know, Oswald's whereabouts at the when the when the shots rang out are not known. Nobody was with Oswald when the shots rang out, so we don't know for sure where he was. He might have. I doubt it that he fired shots, but if he did, he did not fire the fatal shot. So okay. Oswald Jeff, acts Jeff, like got, we do have to yeah, pause. We do have to pause, Jefferson. Jefferson Morley is our guest. He's with JFKFacts.org. He's a longtime investigative journalist. We're talking about the facts in the assassination of John F. Kennedy, not the conspiracy, but the facts. 1-800-723-8289. That's the phone number if you have questions. In hour number two, we will continue this discussion and perhaps with your phone calls. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Uh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Jill, why didn't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy. 
your football buddy. Or you, your best man. Your worst man. You, your dog walker. Your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. We continue with our number two special discussion, two-hour focus this evening on the assassination of President John F. Kennedy tonight, trying to focus on the facts in the case. Uh, JFKfacts.org is the name of a, a great organization. It's also a podcast. And again, Jefferson Morley, an investigative journalist, is joining us tonight. Uh, he is uh, the leader of that uh, organization. Uh, Jefferson, before the break, you mentioned uh, Mark Lane and uh, a couple of other important books, so Weisberg's book uh, called Whitewash, that began to question any, in any significant way, and there were probably, you know, scores of books written on the Kennedy assassination during that period. And then uh, along comes Oliver Stone and the movie JFK. When did that movie come out, and uh, what reaction did it create? So Oliver Stone's JFK movie was released in late 1991. Um, and in the story, Stone retells the, uh, the effort of New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison to investigate and prosecute a man in New Orleans for a conspiracy to kill Kennedy. That trial, that prosecution took place in 1967. The trial took place in 1969. And uh, the man who Jim Garrison charged, Clay Shaw, a local businessman who actually had worked for the CIA, was acquitted. Um, Stone's movie portrayed Garrison very favorably, probably more favorably than the facts warranted. But it was in service of telling the story, an alternative explanation of the assassination, which Stone depicted as taking place uh, as the work of a high-level cabal in the Pentagon and the CIA. So the movie, with a lot of A-list Hollywood talent, a very compelling script, very well-put-together movie, was a huge hit, runaway hit, tapping into what was still the widespread skepticism about the official theory of mm -hmm. a so-called gunman. And um, so Oliver Stone's movie really kind of restarted or reignited mm -hmm. the JFK debate that had first yeah. started to spring up in the 1960s as doubts about yeah. the it introduced a new gener It introduced a new generation to the story. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and Stone, Stone's film had a, 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 um, a significant impact on the law and the government. Stone put in a little trailer at the end of his movie and said, 
Um, by the way, 90% of the government's records related to the assassination are still secret. And if that bothers you, write your congressman. And that was true in 1991, nearly mm -hmm. 30 years after the assassination. Right. Virt most of the government's records on the subject were off limits to the public. As a result of that little trailer in the film, congressmen were bombarded under an avalanche of mail from people saying that's an outrageous, this shouldn't be made public. And Congress was actually shamed into doing the right thing. And, sh and Congress passed a law, the JFK Records Act, which was a pretty good law. And what it said was all government agencies have to make public all of their JFK records. So that law created something called the Assassination Records Review Board. And this was not a reinvestigation of the assassination. This was simply an effort to collect and make public all of the government's documents on the subject. And so in the 1990s, several million pages of government records, CIA, FBI, Justice Department, NSA, um, DIA, all sorts of government agencies started making their information public. And so we learned a whole lot more about the Kennedy assassination in the 1990s. We began to get a full glimpse of all of the evidence that was in the possession of the government. And once you begin to look at that evidence with an open mind, you begin to see that it weakens, uh, if not undermines fatally, the government's theory of a so-called lone gunman. And so that and, was a very important part. Stone's movie played a very important part in making sure that people got the full record. And now we have something that we never had, say, in the 1960s, which was a reasonably good look at what the information that was in possession of the CIA, the Warren Commission, the FBI. But we and it shows that the investigation that the Warren Commission committed was quite superficial and on key points, ignorant or deceived. But we still have to this day... We have the National Archives, which is violating the congressional law passed to release that information. And you are in the forefront with, with others uh, who, who are demanding that this information be, uh, be, be released to the American people. President Donald Trump yeah. said that he would do it. He came close to doing it. But at the last minute, according to Mike Pompeo's testimony on television, he talked the president out of it. And again, Joe Biden has been giving lip service to the subject as well. So what what can people do right now who are still furious with almost 60 years past since the assassination with the government sitting on important records that the American people have a right to see and that Congress has dictated that they should see but again, a government agency disregarding Congress. Yeah, um, I think what people need to do is, is, is subscribe to my newsletter, jfkfacts.substack.com uh, um, and uh, maryferrell.org, maryferrell, F-E-R-R-E-L-L.org, which is the largest online collection of JFK assassination documents. And the Mary Farrell Foundation is suing President Biden and the National Archives for failure to enforce this law. And we're gonna be in court with the Justice Department and CIA lawyers next month in San Francisco. And so if people wanna follow that case, they'll find a lot of coverage on jfkfacts.substack.com. Mm -hmm. um, it hasn't, it's been covered a little bit, 
by the major networks. Uh, when we filed the lawsuit, we got some coverage last year. But if you really want to keep up with it, you should subscribe to my newsletter. So we are in court saying the government needs to, yep. Yep. you know, obey the law. Now, and by the way, let me just let me just let me just interject. That's let, true. Let me in, let me interject uh, a contemporary sure. issue, because there are many people listening to this program. Uh, they are furious by the recent actions in the last decade of the FBI and the CIA. They may be of a different political persuasion than those that originally questioned the JFK assassination. But again, we are seeing right, right now an example of some things that are happening in contemporary American politics that go back 60 years and a government and a government conspiracy to keep information from the American people. That's the, that's the conspiracy I see. Again, you're dealing with facts. You've laid out the facts tonight. But again, uh, when, you, when you have agencies of the federal government not releasing what they're supposed to do based on a congressional action, this is important, a congressional action has dictated that they do something and they're ignoring it. That has got to stop, and again, we will continue to tell that story, and again, you can find more about it uh, on jfkfacts.org. And when we come back, we're going to talk about another House intelligence operation that looked into assassinations, and we'll find out what they have discovered. Back shortly from Chicago, I'm Bruce Dumont. Bye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. It's a bully. 
But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, before the break, I mentioned the uh, House, assass- House assassinations investigation into uh, assassinations, not exclusively the John F. Kennedy assassination. But, uh, Jefferson, what can you tell us about uh, uh, that uh, commission and uh, what they discovered? So um, the House Select Committee on Assassinations was a congressional investigation which reopened the JFK investigation in 1976. It was created really as a result of the airing of the Zabruder film, which we talked about before. And I had said that it was in possession of Life magazine and the government, but never shown. Well, that was finally, that embargo or that censorship was finally broken in 1975 by Geraldo Rivera, who then had a show, Good Night America on ABC. And he showed the Zabruder film in February and March of 1975 to a national audience for the first time. And the impact was huge. And as a result of the outrage about the film and that it seemed to show the president shot from the front, something the government had been denying for a decade, Congress felt obliged to reopen the investigation. So they also reopened the investigation of Dr. Martin Luther King at the same time. The, the committee investigated in 1978, and they concluded that in all probability there had been a conspiracy, but they were not able to identify the perpetrators. So you have had two official investigations, the Warren Commission in 1964, which endorsed the lone gunman theory, and the House Select Committee on Assassinations, which said that there was evidence that there had been a conspiracy, but they could not detect who was behind it. So. The House Select Committee findings were very important because they suggested that the initial findings were wrong. So we've had two investigations of JFK's death, two official investigations, and they reached opposite conclusions. But the House Select Committee, and this is my opinion here, uh, that investigation and that conclusion received very little public exposure. There was, there, there was, it, it might have been lasting a week. But again, that, that's one of the most important findings, at least in my opinion, in the last 50 years, uh, a, a House looking into that. And then, of course, the Congress also then, you know, later on came up and, and demanded uh, with the Presidential Records Act, uh, the, the Assassination Records Act. And so C- Congress, uh, when 
at times they have stepped up and they've done a very good job. And I want to ask one other investigation, because this was also happening in the mid-70s, and that was the work of Frank Church, uh, the liberal Democratic senator from Idaho, who, who led an investigation into the CIA, which was probably one of the most revealing investigations ever conducted by Congress. Yeah, um, the Church Committee investigation was not an investigation of the Kennedy assassination per se, but of CIA abuses of power going back to its founding in 1947. And it was a bipartisan committee, and it really you know, hung together and was not divided by partisanship. Everybody agreed that the CIA needed to be held to account for all sorts of things, domestic spying, foreign assassination plots, mind control experiments. And the Church Committee did a very fair, thorough, and critical job of the CIA, and in fact, led to some real reforms. CIA's budget was cut, um, people were fired, uh, the House and Senate's intelligence committees were created, um, covert operations had to be approved through a new, much more elaborate process involving more people. And so the House Select Committee and the Church Committee really led to some real accountability. Now, it was those reforms were limited, and their and their their effect was rolled back by the CIA over the years. But Congress did do its job in the 1970s in at least trying to hold uh, the CIA uh, accountable for its actions. So and also, some of that the things, was an important moment. Some of the things that they also brought up that came in that, that investigation and that those committees uh, was the the longtime involvement of the Central Intelligence Agency with elements of organized crime in the United States, that they, that they, they gave a wink and a nod to each other. Uh, they both had a desire to, uh, to, to, to re retake Cuba. But again, in this particular case, uh, this was, this frankly was one of the most revealing things that, that I ever recall as, as, as a young man, is that knowing that your government was actively involved with organized crime, which had a hit squad. And that hit squad was really, it was the CIA making suggestions uh, to organized crime hitmen. I mean, that was a pretty revealing and stunning period in American history, uh, which is why I consider uh, yeah. you know, Frank yeah. Church to be such a hero. Yeah, that that um, that uh, the church committee really uncovered that story of the CIA's work with the organized crime figures. And one of the shocking things that occurred was they called a couple of those organized crime bosses to testify. Um, uh, Johnny Rosselli and Sam Giancana, and both of them were murdered um, before their testimony was finished. Right. Um, and those murders were never solved. But those. You know, so that's how even a decade later, the question of Kennedy's assassination was still very sensitive and very lethal for people who in the know. Mm -hmm. Well, again, the, uh, you know, nothing much happened other than uh, there were su su some significant changes. And again, uh, you know, minds were changed. I, I know that my mind was changed. Uh, my mind was changed in 1974 when I was invited to a conspiracy convention in Boston, Massachusetts, and this is where I realized that there's some there were some really cuckoo people out there who had ideas about conspiracy, and I was a little leery of them, 
but also I saw the Zebruder film. And once you see the Zebruder film, I don't know how you can believe the Warren Commission at all. So this has led to my, you know, 49 years of interviews with virtually everybody that's ever written a book on the subject of either the assassination or the CIA. But uh, right now we have some callers that are waiting on the line. Let's go to them right now. Let's go to Bob listening in Ohio on Beyond the Beltway. Go ahead. Bob. Yes, good evening. Um, the the theory of Kennedy being assassinated by a lone gunman falls really short when you examine the equipment used or supposedly used by Oswald. He used a Maliker 6.5 Carcano rifle with no adjustable sights on it. Listen to what I'm saying, gentlemen. Zero adjustable sights. Now, what I'm telling you came right out of the five experts that testified, the firearms experts testified, in front of the Warren Commission. I don't know how many people have read her testimony, but it's just revealing. Number one, they could, Oswald, if Oswald was the gentleman that, that was behind the gun, was unable to adjust the manual sights on the gun because they were unadjustable, A. The scope on the rifle was specifically designed for a 22 rimfire caliber firearm, B. The instructions that came with the rifle scope clearly state not to be used on anything heavier than a 22-rim-fire 20, fire cartridge. When the five experts from the, from the, from the uh, congressional investigation examined this object, it was broken. The, the reticle inside had been broken from its mouth. It clearly could not be adjusted for any distance or range. In other words, it was and it also, Bob, 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 did this this also not require maybe a level of uh, a skill uh, that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald did not have? Correct. I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that, gentlemen. First but, of all, ask any sniper that's a right-shouldered shooter if he'd rather track to the left or track to the right. Now, what I'm saying by that is this. When you track to the left as a right-shouldered shooter, you're going into the closed body, which is very stable and very accurate. Mm -hmm. When you're tracking to the right, it's the exact opposite. You become unstable and very inaccurate. Mm -hmm. okay. The shot that was taken from the Bob. book depository building was down and away or away from a closed shoulder position. Go ahead. Bob, listen, I thank you very much for calling in. Uh, with your assessment of that and sharing it with the audience. We're going to move to Jorge, listening in Brooklyn, New York. Go ahead, Jorge. Yes, I wanted to ask, um, was an autopsy done on... Tell us about the autopsy, uh, Jefferson. Yeah, the, president, um, the president's body was flown back to Washington that night and was, was taken to um, Bethesda uh, Medical Center um, for the autopsy. The autopsy was controlled by the military. The doctors were told what they could and could not do. <clears throat> and we have subsequently learned that the autopsy was, it was a sham. It was bungled. It was, um, it's not credible. Um, and the JFK Review Board in the 1990s called back a lot of the people who had worked on had been present at the autopsy who had never been interviewed. And they gave uh, some sworn te testimony. And what those people said was that 
the photographic record of the, of the autopsy that they themselves took, they developed the pictures or took the pictures, those pictures are not in the collection that's at the National Archives. So the whole factual record of the autopsy is to be doubted. So yes, there was an autopsy, uh, but its results cannot really be trusted. Thank okay. you, Jorge. All right, thanks very much. Uh, 1-800-723-8289 is the phone number. I'm Bruce Dumont. Our special guest this evening is Jefferson Morley. Uh, he is a noted author, and uh, his book is called Sorcerer's uh, Dancers Dance, and it's The President, The Spymaster, and Watergate. He's written numerous books on the intelligence community tonight. He is with jfkfacts.org, and tonight we're talking about facts in the assassination story. Facts only. Back shortly. I'm Bruce Dumont. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. If you talk and they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella, 
I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Beyond the Beltway continues. I'm Bruce Dumont. Jefferson Morley is our guest. Joining us from Washington this evening, uh, he is with JFKFacts.org. Uh, one name that you referenced a couple of segments ago uh, who had quite a bit of notoriety uh, in this investigation is James Garrison, the former district attorney in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh he was sort of a, a big fish. Obviously, the movie JFK was based loosely on his life. But uh, what grades, good or bad, would you give to uh, Jim Garrison on getting uh, any facts out, or was it all speculation? Well, Garrison had a few facts at his command, um, and they were they were real leads. Um, there was a man named Guy Bannister. Uh, a hard right, racist, FBI, former FBI agent who Oswald was hanging around with. Very, very puzzling. Why would a leftist communist like Oswald be hanging around with a guy like Guy Bannister? Um, and so Garrison proceed, made his case more to kind of shake the tree and hope that maybe he could find something, get people to start talking if they faced prosecution. He didn't really have a very strong case. He was right. He charged that Clay Shaw had worked for the CIA, something that the government denied at the time. And when JFK records were released in the 1990s, it turned out, yes, Clay Shaw was a paid informant of the CIA, and Jim Garrison was right about that. Mm -hmm. But in general, Garrison didn't have a very strong case. He didn't really know how the CIA worked. He was kind of groping mm -hmm. in the dark. And so I don't give him very high marks. I don't, uh, I don't really rely on his investigation or his interpretation of the facts in my own thinking, because I think he was just a little too scattershot. He was a little too careless. But he also was the, he was, he was the victim of some pretty rough media treatment by the national media. They, uh, they roughed him up pretty significantly, uh, Absolutely. his reputation, yeah. and including uh, Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show, uh, which was, uh, you know, obviously Johnny Carson was one of the kings of television at that time, and he was, he was going to be a guest on The Tonight Show, and Johnny, uh, uh, you know, he, he pulled him off the show and, again, uh, made some derogatory comments, uh, you know, about him. Um, as you look back at all of the things that, that have come before uh, your brain in the last 25 plus years, Jefferson, what in your view are the most significant facts that affect you the most today? Um, I think the new information that came out in the 1990s, and there were several kind of big facts that are not really in dispute anymore. And they all undermine the official theory. The first is I alluded to this at the beginning of the show, this idea that Lee Harvey Oswald came out of nowhere and shot the president, that's just a lie. You know, top CIA officials knew all about Oswald. They knew about his politics, his travels, his personal life, his contacts with presumed intelligence agents of Cuba and the Soviet Union, and they did nothing. 
and they were not held accountable for the failure of presidential security in Dealey Plaza, assuming that Oswald killed the president. So that's one thing that we learned. A second thing that we learned was the CIA relied on false flag operations at the time. They used them all the time. So did the Pentagon. So in a false flag operation, you commit a crime or stage something, a big event, and then you blame it on somebody else. And if you look at what happened on November 22nd, the president was killed and people who we now know were CIA assets immediately sought to blame Oswald and Cuba. So that's something that we didn't know at the time. A third thing that I mentioned before, we have a lot of sworn testimony from people who participated in the autopsy and the autopsy photographs. And we now know that the autopsy was a sham and that the photographic record of the autopsy cannot be trusted. That's another thing that we've learned since the 1990s. Um, and finally, that the CIA specifically targeted the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, the popular leftist group to which Oswald belonged, for destruction in 1963, in the fall of 1963. So the combination of all of these things really cast doubt on the notion that one guy killed the president and raises the possibility that CIA people were manipulating Oswald into the role of a patsy. Now, I can't swear that's true, but the evidence for it is pretty strong. And I, and I should say, you know, we talk about what's going on today. You know, this has been a major theme of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in his Democratic bid for the Democratic presidential nomination. He's saying, my uncle was killed by the CIA. Quite a strong and remarkable charge. And there's a lot of evidence to support what he's saying. I, he says it's proven beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't think that's true, but I, I think the case is circumstantial, but strong. Um, one other uh, name that, that I want to do, actually, you know, we've got a caller on the line. Uh, okay. Let's, let's go to the call. Let's go to Tom yeah. in DeSoto, Illinois. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hey, Bruce. I love your show. Thank I, you. I look forward to listening to you uh, every Sunday night. Good. Um, I, just, I just wish you were on PBS. Okay, well, <laughs> those days are over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that in 63 with the uh, Life magazine. Yes. And mm -hmm. did, I, did somebody here fail to mention uh, John Connolly, the governor being, governor being shot? I mean, I believe yep. that uh, Oswald was a patsy. You know, I think this was an ambush. Uh -huh. um, and yeah. when I looked at the video as you played it again... Uh, that I, I'd seen several times, I noticed that Kennedy was grasping at his throat. Right. Quite, quite. you know, you give a man a getting shot, he, he won't notice it for a minute, or I mean a second, mm -hmm. you know, and so after that, he passes by. So it seemed like somebody will, might have been shooting from that building, and, uh, and uh, it deflect, one deflected off his collarbone or something. Mm -hmm. 
Well, again, that, yeah, 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 I, I believe it, it, it broke his collarbone, and, and one of the things in the Warren Commission is this called the magic bullet, and they, 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 right, they yeah. tried to diagram the, the trajectory of that bullet, and it was going left and right and around, and, and it, 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 it wasn't certainly believable to the general public, although maybe ballistic experts uh, would, would suggest. One other thing about Lee Harvey Oswald, and this goes back to 1984, uh, I went to the Republican convention. Uh, it was in Dallas that day, or that week, that year, rather. And uh, I wanted to go into the Texas School Book Depository and see what that floor looked like. And I went there. Uh, the person who was the guard said that they were going to have media tours later that night. So I said, well, you know, it's, it's, it's like 5 to 5, and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to come back because I will be on the air in Chicago. And he said, oh, you're from Chicago. And I said, yes. He said, well, I'm from Highland Park. Stand by. So what he did is he <laughs> held me and, and the director of, of Chicago Tonight at that time. He held us, and at five minutes after, or five, you know, five o'clock when his time was up, he took us up the elevator of the Texas School Book Depository. It went to the, uh, I believe, the fifth floor, and we had to walk up the last flight. It was very creaky. It was very hot. Nothing had been done. It was a true warehouse. They had not built the beautiful uh, Dallas, uh, you know, assassination museum at that point, the sixth floor, which you definitely should go see if you go to a Dallas. So I got to the sixth floor. My eyes immediately went to the window, which was the furthest left. And I walked over there and I opened the window and I looked down. And from my layman's perspective, this looked like an easy shot. It was right where the turn of the of, of the street was. There were no trees uh -huh. immediately in front, and I was said to myself, "This is a perfect place for a, for an ambush." It would have been an easy shot for Lee Harvey Oswald. That's what I thought then. Later on, I went to dinner, and when my friend and I we came back later that night on the news, there was a story. There had been a fire in the afternoon at the Texas School Book Depository. All media tours were stopped, and that happened. So I was one of the few media people that ever sat in that window, uh, believing that it would have been an easy shot for uh, for him. But again, that doesn't explain what I believe were the real shots, and I believe they came from the grassy knoll. But that's one of my stories of my uh, involvement with following this story for 49 years. But it's... Can I, can I ask you another question? Yes. Being that you described the situation as you saw it, were you in the top right of the building? I was in the actual you, window. The I was in, it was it, actually it was the top left when you when you walk oh, towards okay. when you, when you, that sixth floor uh -huh. uh, door opened, your eye kind of gravitated right to the left. There was no other. There was nothing else on the floor. Uh, the window was easily open, and I got down on my knees and looked out, and I said, this was an easy shot. And I reported that for many years, that it was an easy shot. And yet this was after uh, I had seen the, the Zapruder film back in 75, which to me, that's, that's the telltale. That's the telltale clue. Yeah. Tom, listen, thank you very much for your call. Thank you for uh, watching uh, the, the program and listening to the program. Uh, 
in in going back to one other quick story, uh, and we got a, we got a minute. To, actually, I'm going to ask the question now, and we'll wait to get your answer after the break, uh, Jefferson. We're coming up on our last break, but we have not talked at all about Jack Ruby. I want to find out what facts you have about Jack Ruby and your thoughts on that when we continue. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thank okay. you very much for joining us. 1-800-723-8029. We've got some callers on the line and one more segment with Jefferson Morley. Thanks for joining us. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve! By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana and vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media, many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
Bruce Dumont back with Jefferson Morley. This our last segment. Uh, one uh, pivotal player uh, in this uh, drama was uh, Jack Ruby. Uh, Jack Ruby was the man that uh, uh, you, you saw in the Dallas police station who came up uh, and he shot Lee Harvey Oswald, who died uh, a couple of, uh, I think, uh, day later. But Jack Ruby uh, with a fedora hat in the lower right, for those watching us on television, uh, he was sort of a mobbed-up, uh, you know, strip club uh, operator from uh, Dallas, Texas. But uh, what else do we know about Jack Ruby, uh, Jefferson? Well, first of all, um, Jack Ruby was, like you said, uh, a fringe figure in organized crime. He wasn't really an organized crime figure himself. He was one of those guys who wanted to be mm -hmm. a mafioso. He was kind of a wannabe. Uh, he ran a strip club. He was an informant. And, you know, the idea that, why did Ruby shoot Oswald? Oswald said he was a patsy, right? Which means other people were involved. So the fact that Ruby killed him would tend to support the idea that other people, you know, were trying to silence him. Um, Ruby wasn't really investigated by the Warren Commission. His organized crime uh, connections and friendships were not studied in any detail by the commission. We only learned about that much later. <clears throat> Ruby himself told Earl Warren in, in May 1964, Warren came to Dallas to talk to Ruby. And Ruby said to Warren, look, if you get me to Washington, I'll tell you the whole story of what happened. But obviously, Ruby didn't feel safe in Dallas. Earl Warren turned him down because he wasn't really interested in doing an investigation. Um, and Ruby was convicted of murder and died in jail three years later. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you something new, though, that we just learned about Ruby, which is one of the psychiatrists who visited Ruby in jail was a man named Dr. Jolie West. And he was a prominent psychiatrist at the University of Oklahoma and later at UCLA. And he examined Ruby in May of April of 1964 and concluded that he was insane, something that Ruby's other doctors did not agree with. Here's the catch, Bruce. Dr. Jolie West worked for the CIA. He was a CIA contractor and he participated in the what's called the MK Ultra program, which was the CIA's mind control experiment program. Hmm. So a CIA subcontractor had contact and was involved in Ruby's legal proceedings, unbeknownst to the Warren Commission and unbeknownst to anybody for many decades later. So again, another new piece of evidence which tends to undermine the official story. Why did the CIA have somebody examining Jack Ruby. We don't have a good answer to that. As question. it relates to one sort of dangling piece of uh, uh, evidence, and you tell me whether it's true or not, uh, let's talk about Dorothy Kilgallen. For those listening around the country, she was a regular panelist on What's My Line. She was a well-known personality in the 1950s on television. She was also a nationally syndicated columnist for a New York newspaper. Uh, she, again, allegedly interviewed uh, Jack Ruby and uh, died mysteriously after that interview. Is that fact or fiction? That, no, that's true. Dorothy Kilgallen was a well-known media personality. She was one of the leading female reporters um, and journalists in the country in, mm -hmm. at that time. And she did indeed interview Jack Ruby. And she said that she, uh, that she was very excited about what she was finding and she thought it was highly significant. 
Shortly after that, she died under mysterious circumstances. You know, that's all true. And we don't, you know, it was very strange the way Dorothy Kilgallen died. Her family did not believe that she had committed suicide. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a suspicious death. And she did indeed pursue the Ruby story and claim to have knowledge. Now, we don't have notes of a meeting that she had with Ruby. She didn't write a story. She only spoke with people about this. So, you know, it's tantalizing, but we don't know a lot more than that. We have a minute left. Repeat again, Jefferson, what people listening to this broadcast this evening can do to help you get to the final, uh, the, the final end of this uh, story that's now 60 years old. Subscribe to jfkfacts.substack.com. It's a daily newsletter covering the newest developments in the JFK story, including the lawsuit against President Biden and the National Archives which will be heard in San Francisco federal court next month. This is a legal effort to get the Biden administration to enforce the law. So this is an active issue and it's before a federal judge right now. How many, how many pieces of evidence are still uh, being held in the National Archives? Is it, is it a large treasure of uh, information or is it small? We estimate there's about 4,000 documents in the JFK collection which contain redactions. So that means we might have a full version of, the, of a document, but a name or a paragraph or a page has been deleted. So a lot, of, a lot of documents, I mean, some of the information that's withheld is trivial, but a lot of these documents, and most of them are held by the CIA, are still gonna be kept secret. Also, is it true that another motion picture is about to be produced about the assassination by David Mamet? Yes, that uh, according to the Hollywood press, that movie has been greenlighted and they're going to start filming it in September. So that that could be another piece of evidence here, or at least facts or, or dramas that gets the American people a little more involved or a new generation involved in trying to follow this story. But again, the most important thing, the National Archives, we're reading about the National Archives every day with the Donald Trump story. But again, they are sitting on the pivotal evidence to release in the assassination of John F. Kennedy on November 22nd, 1963, which I think is a defining moment in American uh, history. Again, I think the, the innocence of many people in the country, it was lost on that day. And then along came the Vietnam War and then Watergate and everything else that has followed suit. But again, if you go back to November 22nd, 1963, in my opinion, that's where it all began. And I think Jefferson Morley, our guest this evening, agrees. I'm Bruce Dumont. I and do. Thanks for joining us tonight. And also Fritz Goldman, thank you for your production of tonight's broadcast. back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. 
Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Uh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free 24-7 confidential support. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening, and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why as a young person they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When you need me, I'll be by 